0: on Local Now, Channel 525.
1: Go all the way out. I'll start with this email from Charles. The Congress of the United States seems to be the epicenter of activist activity. Republicans should really promote all their new people, which are numerous, and build up the Freedom Caucus. Forget about the old line establishment going along, getting along, Democrat appeasing swamp denizens with cold feet. Jordan Scalise. Gomer, Crenshaw, Stefanik, Ernst, Green, etc. all the future of the GOP. Amen to that. I agree with that. Rob is in surprise. Hi, Rob.
2: Hi, Seth. Uh, I guess it's Thursday, isn't it? It
1: is Thursday. Long week, huh?
2: Yeah, no kidding, and uh, lots of stuff going on. Um, Now, just to back up a second, do you know the name Jerry Marsden? Maybe. Okay, Jerry and the Pacemakers? Yes,
1: of course. Yes.
2: Yeah. Did you know he passed away on the third? No. Oh, did you? Yeah, he did. Unfortunately, he was seventy-eight. I guess he had heart problems. Oh my gosh! Did you know that his band, Jerry and the Pacemakers, were the second most successful group from Liverpool after the Beatles? Is that right? They have hits? Yeah. Is have that hits on right? Even though they never had a number one,
1: "You'll Never Walk uh, Alone."
2: Yeah, you'll never walk alone, Ferry Cross the Mersey.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, how do you do what you do to me? Uh, and and stuff like that. And, and you know, it, don't let the sun catch you crying. Right,
1: right. Um, right. You know, right. So
2: just great stuff. And again, I, you know, I kind of grew up with all this. And, you know, maybe we should talk to Bill about adding a Jerry and the Pacemakers song or two just in memorial to him. I maybe mean,
1: we should talk to Bill about that. I'll put that on the agenda. Yeah. Okay. Now,
2: the other name that I wanted to add, bring up was, you, I'm sure you know the name Neil Sheehan.
1: Yeah, of course.
2: Uh, yeah, he passed away also this past week, and he wrote, what, A Bright Shining Line? Yeah,
1: uh-huh, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think I have the book here somewhere. But, um, uh, you know, that that's, again...
1: He, he was the reporter the that did the Pentagon Papers.
2: Well, no, that was Daniel Ellsworth, wasn't it? No, I think Ellsberg. he got
1: him from Daniel Ellsberg.
2: Oh, maybe he did. Yeah, yeah I think Daniel he wrote the story. Ellsberg,
1: I think it was under Neil Sheehan's uh, byline, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Well, you you may be right. I, I just remember the name Daniel Ellsberg when I yeah. think of the Pentagon mm-hmm. papers. But, yeah, maybe we're both right on that one. Anyway... He was the um, guy that
1: turned him, that leaked him over to Sheehan. Ellsberg was the that, guy. Yeah, maybe, was that, the, the, yeah. maybe that's mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm.
2: Good point. Anyway, um, when we talk, and we do on a daily basis, about... Government stuff. Um, we we bring up all sorts of things, but one of the things that I think escapes the the central discussion, which to me is the most important one, is when you when you compare the two parties. Um, the central question that nobody seems to ever ask is what is the role of government, mm-hmm. and the role of government to me. Is you know, and again, this sort of differentiates both party uh, and well, and conservatives and liberals, Democrats as well. I think on the role of government side, we believe that the role of government is based on our Constitution, and what the Constitution says is what the role of government is, both federal and state. Unless I'm crazy here, um, and then I, you know, you look, and this is the hard part. When you think of the Democrats, thinking about what is the role of government, I haven't the slightest idea other than uh, they believe that uh, do whatever it takes to get power, maintain power, and don't worry about the Constitution. Um, We'll just do whatever we feel like doing. And those people really, I think, attract people who are motivated mostly by feelings instead of... Well, intellectual thought or the Constitution, call me crazy. I might be. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I just think, you know, the central issue is to try to answer and differentiate between parties. What is the role of our government, whether it's federal or state or local? And what is it that people want government to do, which I think is one of the problems, because I think a lot of people think government should, you know, provide health insurance. They should provide you know, welfare forever. And that's not the role of government. And it's because we, again, believe in the power of the individual. They believe in the power of government. And and that's, I think, one of the central things that should be talked about more than the day-to-day, you know, we hate Trump, we love Trump, uh, impeachment again, uh, whoever's in the news, uh, National Guard in Washington, this and that. People are not serious in general about focusing on the central questions, like, well, what is the role of government? And I'll just leave it at that, just for your input. Well,
0: because my
1: I input is that. this: it's it's an important question that really is the central question that too many people do avoid because it's an uncomfortable set of it's an it, it leads to uncomfortable answers. But I'll give you my answer, and I think it's 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 a thread. That runs from James Madison in Federalist 45, where he talks about the, be- the-, the powers delegated to the federal government in the Constitution are his words, few and defined. His words. Exactly. Few and defined. Exactly. And exactly. then he talks about what they are, which uh, certainly include war and peace and commerce or at least I think foreign commerce and taxation and pretty much everything else is pretty much everything else goes to the states pretty much. Now, yes. it starts with Madison in Federalist 45. Then it runs to Jefferson, who says for majorities to be right, they must be reasonable, because I think it answers your question. What do Democrats believe? I think Democrats believe I my, my best sense or most charitable painting of it is that whatever they can get 51% plus or a majority of people to back them on is fine because Mm -hmm. they are not grounded by any limiting principle that I have ever heard them articulate and certainly hasn't been articulated uh, throughout the history of the Democratic Party, which is why the thread Madison Jefferson concludes for me with Abraham Lincoln who taught that – Just because a majority wants something does not make it reasonable. You do not have a right to do a wrong, which is the whole debate over, of course, popular sovereignty and the birth of the Republican Party in 1856 in the first place. So that is my answer. That's the role of government, that it has to discern. It has to discern what is right and reasonable based on what the intentions of the founders were, which was grounded in the natural rights view of man and the limited purpose of what government should be able to do to man.
2: Absolutely. And that is exactly what is not taught in our school system anywhere or probably even in the university system, Anywhere, And that's why, you know, we need to invade the uh, school boards and uh, that sort of thing. But again, I I think that, you know, we we end up getting bombarded with information, conspiracy theories, all sorts of crazy stuff, nonsense in the news, nonsense online. And really, I think there needs to be a focus and a clarity, I think, of what the important questions really are. And then using reasonable man theory. you did very eloquently, much better than I would ever do. Well, the it, you years. know, but
1: the truth is you agree with it, and you could have done it too. It's not really? hard um, when you have a pretty firm grounding on what you believe. But uh, uh, to be fair, also, I haven't said anything like that in a long time, and uh, I haven't been asked about it in a long time. I haven't thought about it in a long time. Uh, well, that's why I'm here. Sam. Yeah, well, <laughs> because we conservatives, we look at the Democrats, and we know what's wrong but we don't often articulate what's right and mm-hmm. um and you know there's part part of this is probably why we we started that conversation And project about, you know, let's teach conservatism, let's talk about the roots of conservatism and why there are several strands of it. But the American brand, particularly, is the brand, Mm -hmm. the American view of American conservatism itself, based on the doctrines of our founding father, of our founding, are the ones that give us the concept of limited government and constitutionalism. No other brand of conservatism does that. And then the question becomes, well, what is that founded on? And it's obviously, to me at least, very obviously, the Declaration of Independence and the Doctrine of Natural Law and Natural Rights.
2: Yeah, and and the evolution of Western civilization that led to our founding. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Anyway, Seth, thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. All
1: right. It's a start anyway. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Lisa's in Phoenix. Hi, Lisa.
0: Hi, thank you for taking my call. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who is that trumpet player? I love that music.
1: Isn't that great? That's uh, that's a duet with Buddy Rich and Maynard Ferguson.
0: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Hey, I just wanted to comment that um, I love your show. I love People that agree with me, I love you because you agree with me. <laughs> I love the call. I love the callers because they agree with you and we agree with each other. But my problem is, what are we doing about the stolen election? Because we all know it was stolen. Where are the legal challenges in the state of Arizona? I want to be part of that. Where are they? I'll contribute to a cause. I'll contribute to lawyers' fees. This election was stolen. Mark Kelly is against guns. Everybody I know owns a gun, but he got elected. Now, how, how does that work? Where is the investigation? Why aren't we doing something? I want to do something, not articulate, not talk, not agree that they are all in ice Because they are just making us talk against them without doing a thing. And I'm I, I just am beside myself. I want to do something I understand. that is peaceful, that is calm, sure. and that is not talking anymore because they don't care. They don't listen. They're trying to shut us down, and eventually talk radio will be shut down too.
1: Well, I hope not. I hope not. Um, there have been attempts before, and uh, with less support, by the way, uh, from its listeners. There have been attempts to shut us down. When we had lesser audiences, smaller supp- smaller levels of support. So I hope not, and I think not, and we'll fight it with everything we got. Uh, as far as uh, legal avenues uh, to contest the election, most of every court uh, shut those down, Lisa, and certainly the president did. Uh, uh, when he uh, conceded and said that that that, that fight is over. So I don't think that venue is open anymore. I just don't see where it would come from. You don't have a plaintiff, not when the president uh, said it's over. So that having been said, uh, what do you do? Um, You do what we have been talking about, I think. You get ready and you lobby hard to get election reform which is by and large a state practice is a state uh, vet, is a, is in the state's ambit voter id ending unsolicited mail in ballots those would be the first two in my book when it comes to election fraud we've got a good start by having elected a great recorder from Maricopa County here in Arizona a republican really good start there but i would i would contact Uh, Your state representatives and state senator and make sure that this is something that uh, they are working on or will tell you on the best way to work on. I think that's short term. A little bit farther out than that is working to get back Congress. We're in 11 seats of that. I think we can do it. Work back to get the Senate. I think we can do that. And then larger project beyond that is Taking Back Our Schools. It's three-tiered, immediate, moderate, long-term. Immediate election reform, moderate, the interim elections, and long-term, the schools. If you give them the schools, they'll keep giving you this kind of country. Um, but I think as far as contesting, once the main lead plaintiff, plaintiff concedes, that part is over and done. And we have to... Um, Probably accept the results the way Richard Nixon accepted the results of 1960. Move forward, roll up our sleeves, and get to work. We've got a great bench. We've got a great team. We've never had a better, stronger bench and team. I just don't think we have. Let's not let them down. Don is in Phoenix. Hi, Don.
3: Hi, Seth. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, yeah, I wanted to compare the security failures uh, in Benghazi, back when that happened, to what the Capitol Police went through with their with the security failure last week at the Capitol. And um, so it seems there was uh, there was credible threats. The intelligence showed there was a credible threat for attack. There was um, and there was requests for more security. Um, I saw an NPR that the uh, cap- chief of the police, of the Capitol Police, requested National Guard members for uh, six times and didn't get it. Um, and then, you know, after after the event happens, and uh, the tragedy happens there, then it gets blamed on something else. Back in Benghazi, Obama blamed a YouTube video for what happened. I remember when they knew that, it was. Yep a planned attack mm-hmm. and now they blamed president trump's speech for what happened and they know it was a planned attack and they rushed to impeach and it's a you know she just nancy Pelosi just wanted to get the second impeachment um you know going against the constitution and everything but they know it was a planned attack so and um and then you know president obama was attacking the guy with the YouTube video about making, uh, you know, about his free speech. You know, he was making uh, disgusting videos about the Muslim faith or something. But yes,
1: I remember that. Yes, him. right. Now we got to right. grab,
3: take away free speech right. from people. Right. Now you can't say the election was stolen anymore. So, so it's like their incompetence is a tactic for them, and they use it to for power grabs. Now we got to take free speech um, from people who want to. You know, say the election was rigged. And makes me wonder what, you know, next week there's, you know, the FBI is saying there's going to be armed protests at every Capitol. Well, armed and protests are both fine because they're both illegal. But what's Antifa, what's the intelligence on Antifa doing? And what intelligence do they have that they may not act on? And then all of a sudden, you know, something bad happens and. Now we've got to take guns away
1: from people. I you think know, we have right? to be exquisitely careful as a movement, exquisitely careful as a movement to be very, very, very concerned about what you're saying, Don, and how they will use any excuse they can to silence us. If you can't, not you, Don, personally, you're ringing the bell, larger audience. If people cannot see the arc of the suppression of free speech that has taken place over the last four years, really maybe ten, but with acceleration over the last four years to what took place last week, And calling normal political speech incitement and the deplatforming from the major communication instruments in this country of the president of the United States and the lumping of us all in with the worst forms of violence in order to silence us. If you can't see that that's what they're trying to do to us, you don't see very much and you certainly can't respect the First Amendment very much. I'll have more to say about that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Doug's in Maricopa. Hi, Doug.
4: Well, good afternoon, sir.
1: How are you? I'm doing
4: excellent. You know, in in all these wonderful discussions and interviews you've had over the past period of time, um, I have started to realize that basically probably the first battle, the main battle that we have, is going to be not in all the political, uh, you know, battles that we come up with the election and everything else. The very first battle is going to be in free speech. And uh, I was thinking about this today. I had a couple quotes that kind of rumbled through my head. Uh, one from George Washington, and then one from Winston Churchill. And it says that George Washington once said, long time ago, it's still true today, that if freedom of speech is taken away, then death. I mean, dumb and silent, will we be led like sheep to the slaughter? And Churchill said it slightly differently. It seems more appropriate to the liberals today, but it applies the same concept. And he said that, and I think I'm quoting it pretty accurately, but some people's idea of free speech is that they are free to say what they like, but if anybody says anything back, it's a total outrage. And I don't see how, unless we focus on this as something that we don't tolerate, like we've tolerated all our other losses over the last 40 years with kindness and sweetness and very polite, um, is that there will be no political battles in the future if this goes the way that it seems to be going. There is no other political battles if this first battle does not occur. Vigorously,
1: I agree with you. Look, the only um, the the only way a democracy can operate, if you prefer a republican form of government or a constitutional republic, that's fine. But the only way it can operate is through debate. There's no point in giving people. A vote or a right to say have a say-so in their government if they can't have a say-so, if they can't speak, if they can't argue. This is why the protections around the First Amendment, political speech, and press were the most protected of all, according to the Founders' view of the First Amendment. Yes. That was why it was put there, to protect yeah. political speech. And we have moved— from a jeffersonian view that the jeffersonian view that says that that that, toler- that that says that 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 free that through the combat of ideas the competition of ideas um is how majorities will be formed in this country From that point of view, we have moved to a place where an entire set of ideas, an entire movement, conservatives, are being read out of the right of having First Amendment rights at all or free speech rights at all. Let me start with that, free speech rights, and we'll get to First Amendment rights. It's a a very frightening thing, and it's a very frightening thing because the usual institutions that would stand up for the right – of public debate, uh, freedom of association, the very institutions that would normally be the first in court to defend those rights, the media, liberal organizations, they're leading the charge for suppression.
4: That's right. Whoever thought yeah.
1: a newspaper would try to shut another newspaper down?
4: Yeah. yeah. Whoever thought yeah. that would You're come? totally right.
1: Whoever thought oh. that the most... Uh, widely used the most ubiquitous communication tool if not the country maybe even the world would censor and silence the president of the united states on a trumped up charge on a trumped up charge pardon the uh, expression of how an audience might react this is this, yeah. this notion of the audience's reaction that hasn't happened, you know, prior restraint, that's what we're talking about here, an audience's reaction that hasn't happened, also known sometimes as the heckler's veto. This has been the strategy, this has been the, the, the tactic that censors have used from time immemorial and that these courts in this country have abjured for the same amount of time. And now it's becoming acceptable. We can talk more about it on the other side. We'll be right back. A few honest men left who are willing to stand up for free speech and not – and not – collapse all categories of understanding. Alan Dershowitz writing in Newsweek. Whatever one may think, President Trump's speech last Wednesday. I personally found it deeply upsetting, he writes. One thing is clear. It was fully protected by the First Amendment. Nothing the president said constituted unprotected incitement as defined by the Supreme Court over nearly a century of decisions. His volatile words plainly fell on the side of political advocacy, which is protected speech. If you missed my interview with Jim Trusty on this in the last hour, you can always get our interviews at 960thepatriot.com. David is in Phoenix. Hello, David.
5: Hey, Seth. How are you doing today? I'm well, sir. How are you? Well, I have been listening to you for about a year or so. I uh, really like your format and how laid back you are versus the yelling and screaming. Uh, Listen to your last caller. I guess it was your last caller. And I was wondering what your thoughts are of the challenges of the Republican Party going forward. I've been basically independent, but conservative in most of my views, and registered libertarian, voted for Trump uh, because I thought he was an outsider. Three of my four children are kinda of independent. My wife is definitely Republican, and the feedback I'm getting from a lot of friends that are more centrist, kinda of like me, is you know, that the Republican Party, the people that came aboard, I guess is a better way of putting it when Trump was elected. And what's found appealing with Trump, other than you know, a lot of his outrageous comments that he does make and tweet about was the fact that he was more independent minded and from what I'm hearing from my, my friends are they feel like they're gonna go back to being more independent slash libertarian and I'm afraid going forward of course that's not gonna bode well for the Republican Party because the left is they, they seem basically mobilized at a core level that is far, far left, which is kind of the concern. I think it was your show I heard somebody say nobody's playing – they're not playing within the 40-yard line. So I'll take my – I'll take your comments on air and kind of curious what your thoughts were about
1: that. Well, thanks, David. It's an eternal question uh, that we always face. Conservatives have – Midge Dechter once put it this way. She said the Republican Party is the burden we conservatives have to bear. In other words, it's really our only political vehicle, and it sometimes disappoints sometimes disappoints greatly. Um, But we obviously have to be a party of attraction and obviously not lose your friends and regain them. Uh, Libertarian temptations have been responsible, at least as a political movement, for a lot. 50,000 votes went to the libertarian candidate in Arizona. If half of those or even less than half of those went to Donald Trump, Arizona wouldn't have been in litigation or in play or in dispute. would have been in the Trump column. Same with some other states. So I think it's going to rely a lot on what this party decides it wants to be. Donald Trump showed us in 2016 how to appeal to disaffected Democrats and independents. And I think that the people he brought along with him, some of the names I've suggested and said are now firmly part of our bench that I'm so proud of, governors like DeSantis and Noem, uh, senators like Cotton, the list we've, we've, we've gone on and on. To the degree that those people receive the suker in support of the Republican Party and become our national spokesmen and national leaders, I think the more we can draw and attract – um, the party has to stand for more than election. And Donald Trump showed us that. Mitt Romney did not show us that. I think others have not shown us that. But when you have a conviction and a set of beliefs, as Winston Churchill said in the negative, when you have your ear to the ground, it's awfully hard for people to look up to you. You know, you've got to give them a reason to fight and do the right thing and, 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 and figuratively storm a mountain with you. You've got to give them that. And I think Donald Trump showed us how to do that. I don't think he was as good at instantiating the networks and processes that the party needs as good as the, he wasn't as good as the Democrats were at it. You know, we have never been as good as the Democrats have been at the ground game and at the cultural game cultural game are places like schools. The ground game is places like, you know, um, county elections and election boards and school boards. And for the long haul, we have got to get there. We have got to treat our politics the way the left treats theirs. But the conservative principles you say you adhere to, those haven't really changed. You know, times will change and we'll have to tinker around them as to what's more relevant and more immediate and more exigent and more important at any given time, but the principles haven't changed. And if you want to see the need for how important they are and how much more important they are now than ever before, just watch what's coming at you starting on January 21st. So now is not the time to shrink from the duty. Now's the time to stand up and answer it. Some further thoughts on that last call from David in Phoenix about the principles of conservatism in the Republican Party. If you go back to their roots and their founding in 1856 and read their original platform, the first two sections, which are reiterations of the Declaration of Independence, isn't that so much of what we've been talking about this year and what the fight this past year and what the fight over 1776 really is? Of course it is. Of course it is. Barry Goldwater, speechwriter, my teacher, Harry Jaffa, wrote, The salvation of the West must come, if it is to come, from the United States. The salvation of the United States, if it is to come, must come from the Republican Party. And the salvation of the Republican Party, if it is to come, must come from the conservative movement within it. And the salvation of the conservative movement, if it is to come, must come from the renewal and reaffirmation of the principles of the American founding embodied in the Declaration of Independence. It's a little bit about what we were talking about with Rob. We rediscovered the Federalist Papers, start with what the purpose of government is, as outlined by James Madison in Federalist 45. Read what Thomas Jefferson about majorities to be right must be reasonable, just because a majority... may Decide something doesn't make it right and that reasonableness is found in the doctrines of natural right as our founding was and natural law and the human condition and not artificial conditions and then you look to Lincoln and what he said about the right to do wrong which we don't have and Calvin Coolidge and Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan it's all right there for us. It's all right there for us. That's why we don't need a new party. We need to rediscover and have a great relearning of what we were founded on in the first place. Until tomorrow, God bless you. Class dismissed.